Welcome to the WBGO Journal. I'm Doug Doyle. Businesses and schools in New York and New Jersey are still adjusting to coronavirus protocols. Parents became teachers. Parents became super involved. Now going back into in-person learning, it's kind of the opposite. Parents are not allowed in the schools. We'll have highlights from this week's Newark Today call-in show with soon-to-be Senate Majority Leader Teresa Ruiz as one of our guests. Senator Weinberg is is a fearless lioness, right? She will take you on in any given moment, but she listens and she's purposeful. And so those are the things that I will carry with me. There's a new app available to caregivers of those helping people with Alzheimer's disease. And film critic Harlan Jacobson takes an inside look at three new movie westerns. They're movies built on the big reveal, a story architecture that addresses the true concerns we bring from the street into the theater. All this coming up today on the WBGO Journal. New York Governor Kathy Hochul is pleading with businesses to bring back their workers to Manhattan offices. The story from WBGO's Scott Pringle. Speaking at an association for a better New York breakfast, Governor Hochul noted the many small mom-and-pop businesses suffering because they're not seeing the foot traffic with the absence of many Manhattan office workers. But how about this New Year's resolution? That in the days after New Year's, that we say, everybody back in the office, you can have a flex time, but we need you back at least the majority of the week. Hochul touted New York City's very low coronavirus infection rate and vowed to work with Mayor-elect Eric Adams on tackling crime. A recent survey shows 54% of Manhattan office workers remain fully remote. Scott Pringle, WBGO News. The return to classrooms is presenting its own set of challenges for students in Newark and elsewhere in New Jersey. Schools, nonprofits, and other educational organizations are trying to address COVID safety protocols, teacher shortages, vaccine safety issues, and as Stephanie Perry of the Newark Trust for Education says, friction between students. There is a rise in, in student conflict. Um, there, you know, you're seeing more incidences of um, you know, fighting and um, students kind of renegotiating how to interact with each other. Perry says this is happening at all grade levels. The trust and other organizations are holding a series of webinars on these problems to see if conversations can lead to solutions. Perry says it's an adjustment for parents, too. There was a huge boost in homeschool connection during virtual learning. That was one of the actual good things that came out of this pandemic. Parents became teachers. Parents became super involved. Now going back into in-person learning, it's kind of the opposite. Parents are not allowed in the schools. Students are coming back to school and adults with very different experiences of how they um, lived during the pandemic. Some may be coming from families that are super conservative about masks and distancing and kind of how they've interacted with other children. You can get more information about the webinars by going to newarktrust.org. On this month's edition of our call-in program, Newark Today, host Michael Hill spoke with Dr. Sharif Elnahal, the president and CEO of University Hospital, to address the child vaccination progress in the city. Transportation Security Administration is expecting a record number of people to be traveling over the next uh, 10, 11 days for this uh, Thanksgiving. Well, what are you anticipating? What's your advice to people who are getting together? Well, I think it's a really important question. And one thing I want to emphasize is that if you're fully vaccinated and if you are, if you got your booster and you're eligible for a booster and you've gotten it, it is safe to get together uh, with your family for the holidays. 
and so I think that's something that everybody from Dr. Fauci to Dr. Walensky out of the CDC has been emphasizing, but that's only if you are gathering with other fully vaccinated and hopefully boosted people. Remember that one unvaccinated person can spread COVID-19 uh, to a room of vaccinated people and infect several of them uh, based on the way uh, the effectiveness is looking and what the statistics look like. And so remember that it's important if you are gathering uh, to make sure that everybody you're gathering with is also vaccinated. That said, we can still expect to see an increase in cases because of the holidays, primarily because we haven't gotten to near 100% yet in terms of vaccinated people or fully immunized people. Uh, we are, we've passed the 80% threshold for adults, which is a great milestone, but given how contagious the Delta variant is, it's still important uh, to get uh, the rest of the way there. Doctor, let's talk uh, about children now. We know that those who are uh, 12 to 18 have been getting their vaccinations for some time. And just fairly recently, uh, the guidance was for those who are 5 to 11 years old to get vaccinated as well. We're seeing a lot of activity with that uh, in New York City right now and in other places as well. And it looks as if it's coming right on time, can we say, as we're looking at the colder months where more people are getting indoors and, and it's a cold and flu season and so forth? Are, are you seeing the kinds of numbers uh, that are satisfying to you in terms of children who are get, actually getting vaccinated? Well, there was just data released earlier today, Michael, from uh, the White House COVID response team that showed uh, almost 10% of kids aged 5 to 11 are now uh, have their first, first dose of the vaccine, which is actually several times faster than what the rollout looked like for adults uh, all the way back uh, in December and January. And so I think that's really great progress. Uh, I hope to see that progress continue and we don't see a plateau sooner rather than later. We know that the survey showed that only about 30% of adults uh, with children were ready to vaccinate their kids at that age in the beginning. But with all of the messaging out there, with all the facts being shared across the country, with the Surgeon General, with folks like Senator Ruiz talking about it as well, uh, these are all very important leaders who are spreading the truth. Uh, and I do think we'll see well above 30% of these kids getting vaccinated. Doctor, I want to ask you about the pill, the Pfizer pill and the Merck pill, because both of them have pending applications right now before the uh, federal regulators in, in Washington. And I know that Pfizer came out today and announced that it has, or yesterday, it has an agreement with uh, European uh, uh drug makers as well, uh, to make versions of their pill once it's authorized in several countries. And as I said, Merck and Pfizer have these pending applications with federal regulators. Um, are these pills meant to prevent people from getting COVID or to reduce the severity once they get sick? Yeah, it's a really good question. And uh, one of many things that a lot of people have questions about as news keeps coming out about these new therapeutics. Uh, they are actually meant for folks who have COVID-19, and the whole point is to reduce the severity. So it cuts your risk of hospitalization, uh, both the Merck and Pfizer um, uh, pills by at least half, and it also reduces the chance of death. And just for some context here, the only other really antivirus medications that uh, are at work as well, essentially, are the HIV medications, and those evolved over a much longer time and had to be taken in combination forms. Uh, over many, many years in terms of the research. And so it's very remarkable that 
these antivirals uh, came uh, out so quickly and seemed to be so effective uh, and really could be a game changer in moving us finally from a pandemic to an endemic. In other words, you're going to have some folks that still refuse vaccination over time. You're going to have folks getting it despite getting vaccinated in terms of breakthrough infections. And these pills will allow us to actually prevent hospitalization and death. Uh, we're normally not that great as a society and as a scientific community of developing antiviral pills. We're much better at uh, developing antibiotics, which attack bacteria. But this is really promising. And the fact that Pfizer in particular has gonna share their formula worldwide should be a huge game changer in this pandemic. One last point, this is not an excuse not to get vaccinated. Prevention is the most important thing. And so uh, I wanna make sure that I emphasize that and every public health officials everywhere are emphasizing that as well. The other guest on the show was soon-to-be Senate Majority Leader, Democratic Senator Teresa Ruiz. She told host Michael Hill that she's honored to take over that role for retiring Senator Loretta Weinberg. So so what I want to say is that I've, I've been very fortunate to be part of the current leadership team uh, for some time under Senate President Sweeney. And President-elect Nick Scatari uh, also had that confidence me to tap me as his partner in this next legislative session. So I have had the opportunity to have NORC at the table for a very long time uh, in building relationships and securing funding and advocacy and policy, and most support, importantly, in protecting the voices of, of people who oftentimes are not necessarily heard directly or uh, don't have the time, not for lack of will, want, or love to engage in an open public process because we're, we're busy about putting food on the table, paying the rent, taking care of our kids if it's a single head of household, and the litany of things that faces all of our communities on a daily basis. So NORC has been at the table. The essence of this in a much greater capacity is that we shattered the glass ceiling. Nork shattered the glass ceiling. Women of color are shattering the glass ceiling. Latinas, Puerto Ricanas. And so it's, it's, it's aside from being sure that we're protecting policy and moving an agenda that moves every individual in an, in an equitable space, it's about also allowing our children to see our faces in different arenas where perhaps they weren't seeing themselves in years past. It certainly does. Uh, and you talked about uh, uh, advocacy and bringing home uh, uh, the bacon and advocating for uh, uh, urban centers and, and so forth. And I can vouch as a correspondent and a reporter and a news anchor and so forth. I've seen you in action in some of the Senate committee hearings and especially on education. I don't know if if, if people will find and I'm sure they're members of the legislature and, and the reporting corps will say the same thing. There may not be a more fierce advocate for education in New Jersey. After all, you chair the Senate Education Committee, and I have seen you in action. Um, and pardon me for saying this. I've seen you take over committee hearings on education, and I know that that is a central focus uh, for you. Um, what do you envision uh, uh, using your position for it to do even more for Newark? Because let's talk about what, what you see in terms of being able to use the Senate majority leader position to do even more for the Senate, for, for the right. of Newark. I think it's it's continuing to grow on the the legacy policy work that I that I've started in the decade plus that I've been in office to be able to maybe 
more easily move pieces of legislation because of the opportunity that the office is lending me. But again, I have to say that because of the relationships that I have had, I've been able to really put forth some some pieces of, of law that I don't think even in the moment of, of structuring them or having conversations, would I ever realize the impact they would have. You know, when when I was first afforded the opportunity to chair education committee, I changed a hundred year old tenure law that was never touched by anyone in the state of New Jersey. And it wasn't to engage in a conversation about teacher discipline. It was to engage in a conversation conversation about teacher support and resourcing the industry and making sure that we were evaluating people for the purpose of protection and for resources and support, right? And it was something that that was extraordinary at the time. Nobody wanted to take up. It took me two years, but I don't think in the history of this country, we have ever seen a piece of legislation like that, that takes on a conversation that people don't want to have and that make folks uncomfortable because they don't know what angle we're coming from. And I came from a classroom. So that's the angle I was coming from. It got, uh, you know, universal support on both floors and unanimous support from all labor unions, which was an extraordinary thing. And that's what I think a woman and North brings to the table is it's not solely done in one way. It has to be done collectively. It's got to be thoughtfully, purposely. And and we have to talk about the uncomfortable conversations that face our community so that we don't continue in the cycle of doing things over and over in the same way, that we get uncomfortable and we come out with a solution that perhaps None of us are happy with, but at least moves the the agenda forward in moving our communities ahead. You're listening to Senator Teresa Ruiz, uh, District 29, currently the Senate President Pro Tem and soon to be the Senate Majority Leader in Trenton. And she is the what some say will be the hold the second most powerful position as a Democrat and as a lawmaker in the Senate. I want to I want to try to understand it. How do you envision this? being selected to take on uh, a role like this, stepping into the footsteps there, the the shoes, so to speak, of Senator Loretta Weinberg, who is considered a a, a giant of the legislative process. A huge honor, a huge honor. Uh, You know, Senator Weinberg, in in my thank you messages that I post, I described her as the ever fighting um, essence of of a woman at every turn, she has taken the opportunity of her pulpit. And I think that that's what's most important in this space is that it elevates, uh, it gives the person who's sitting in that space an opportunity to elevate those conversations more statewide, right? To engage in resources more statewide, to bring people to the table and to have a more attentive focus instead of in a narrow-minded kind of district perspective on a statewide more engagement. Senator Weinberg is is a fearless lioness, right? And um, I think anyone who would say that has had an opportunity to spend with with her, she will take you on in any given moment, but she listens and she's purposeful. And so those are the things that I will carry with me because it's all these women, you know, that that I stand on their shoulders. My mother, the the late Senator Winona Littman, who I have the fortunate and honor to sit in her seat, a woman who, when she was on the Senate floor, didn't have a restroom for her to use and oftentimes had to sit on the ledge of the Senate floor because wasn't given a, a didn't necessarily have a desk at the time. One woman amongst the entire electorate. And if you look at the volume of work, that she engaged in and 
literally you match it up to what I am doing. It is extraordinary that she was thinking so far ahead on issues of children and women and domestic violence and equity, and that we're still championing those same kind of efforts to move our communities ahead. And Senator Weinberg captures that same spirit, that fire, that desire, that purpose, and that passion. And, and she's not for me, she's not going anywhere far because she knows that I will be reaching out to her if ever in need of advice, which I'm sure if ever in need of a moment where I make a mistake because I'm human and I'm sure that that will occur also. But um, and I think that's what we have to really do in these public spaces is to talk about the fact that um, nothing is perfect and the imperfect is what makes us better because it gives us an opportunity to clean up or to engage, right? But that we have to be honest about that in those spaces. And, and so I, I just hope that um, I'm going to give it 110%, as you know, you've seen it, to, to do my best in this capacity to make sure that we're moving New Jersey forward. If you missed Thursday's show, you can go to the WBGO and Newark Today Facebook pages and see and hear the entire one-hour program. Researchers at Rutgers have found that caregivers for those with Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia who are going through depression or anxiety can find help through an app. WBGO's Janice Kirkell has more. The Mindfulness Coach app was designed to help veterans with PTSD, but a study by Professor Alyssa Kozlov showed that it helped caregivers too. The app works by giving you a bunch of different readings each week, Um, and some exercises and some assessments to get you to progressively train your brain, essentially, to be more geared towards the present. But it does take time to see results, Kozlov says, like training for a marathon. Janice Kirkell, WBGO News. Henry, Power of the Dog, and The Harder They Fall aren't your great-grandpa or grandma's cowboy movies. They all have good guys and bad guys in tall hats, long guns, mountains, deserts, scrub brush, horses, sheriffs, saddlebags of cash, towns and farms made out of balsa wood sets from 100 plus years ago. What's exciting is how all three films put the western to contemporary use. Our film critic Harlan Jacobson has some details for us. In Old Henry, Tim Blake Nelson plays Henry McCarty, a scripture-quoting farmer in Oklahoma in 1906, the year before Oklahoma becomes a state. It's also when the Old West ends and the modern era arrives. The script, written by director Patsy Ponsaroli, slips a what-if into the cracks of history. Henry McCarty is a name you sharp-eyed students of the Old West will recognize, not as an alias, but where a legend began. The rest of us can track McCarty down easily enough on Wikipedia, or you can just let Ponsaroli's story take you there. It's built on the myth that his central character did not die in 1881 as widely believed, but hid out for a quarter of a century. Married, was widowed, true there are no women in this film who ain't already dead, and raised him a teenage son, Wyatt. Not like Wyatt Earp, but Wyatt is this kid so up in my grill? 
The son is played by newcomer Gavin Lewis, like all teenage sons, right on track as a restless, curious pain in the ass when the story begins, and more adult than he bargained for as it plays out. Riders, there gonna be three of them. I'm Sheriff Sam Ketchum. We've been scouting for a man on the run. He's dangerous. They ain't lawmen. They bank robbers. Your last name McCarty? That's right. First name? Henry. Why they didn't shoot you dead, I don't know. I got this crazy idea. There might be more to old Henry than meets the eye. Some shaky old farmer? He didn't hold that pistol like any farmer I've ever seen. Listen to me. What's going to happen will happen quick. You got a lot of fight for a farmer. You have no idea the hailstorm you're fixing to let loose. Consider me properly warned. Tim Blake Nelson is at the top of my list of current character actors and takes McCarty way past the work he did for the Cones as Buster Scruggs and all the way back to the old gunman, Gary Cooper in High Noon, Alan Ladd in Shane, John Wayne in Who Shot Liberty Valance to do the right thing on behalf of the new world trying to be born. A simple rule here applies. When the lead is a great character actor in a film like Tim Blake Nelson, dime to a donut, the film has a good shot at quiet greatness. You can see Old Henry streaming now online. I saw Kiwi-born Aussie director Jane Campion's Power of the Dog at the Telluride Film Festival Labor Day. And while it's the kind of broad-stroke, overheated storytelling reminiscent of 1950s melodrama that I normally don't like, I have to say that by the time it all wrapped up, I admired Campion and novelist Thomas Savage's project. Unpack just what's at the back of the straighter-than-straight male's fear of the feminine. You don't see that every day in a Western, but Chloe Zhao just did it better for my tastes in The Rider in 2018. Power of the Dog starts in Montana in 1925 and is peopled with actors I like to watch. Benedict Cumberbatch sometimes. Here is the last man's man who can break a horse. Jesse Plemons as his stolid brother, a conventional family and businessman. Kirsten Dunst as Plemons' new wife with her teen son Cody Smith-McPhee as Peter, who erases the line between masculine and feminine. It's a long wait for this film's climax that comes out of the barn, but for my taste, Peter's out a bit after so many broad strokes. Watchable, but it plods instead of trots to a finish. Finally, The Harder They Fall on Netflix by writer-director James Samuel with a little assist by screenwriter Boaz Yakin has nothing to do really with any of the historical black characters it draws from all over the late 1800s American map into a 140-minute shoot-'em-up that plays out like a complete mashup between 70s Superfly, a Sergio Leone spaghetti western, Gangsta, and Quentin Tarantino. When the film begins, Idris Elba as Rufus Buck bursts into a quiet ranch at family dinner time and orphans the little boy, Nat Love. Pointedly, he carves a cross in the boy's forehead with a big bowie knife before he leaves. Twenty years later, Jonathan Majors as the grown-up love is on the lookout for Buck in the truly wild, wild Black West. Everything flows thence 
through 19th century bandits who connected the viewer more as South Central than as the Great Southwest some 140 years ago. Move his book. Man, old devil, this gonna be Buck's last day amongst the living. What exactly he do to you? Call it a professional robbery. I know who you are. That love, the outlaw, hunts down those who trespass against him with no mercy. Where is he? Where is who? Your boss. My boss. Clearly, you don't know me. I heard Rufus Buck was back. So ain't no road to ask a friend to travel. You think Destiny's coming to you? My guns go back. A new day is dawning. While the story is set in the late 1800s, the topic is not slavery or Jim Crow, but the unfettered appetite for wealth and score settling afterwards. Like Old Henry, the story uses elevated 19th century stage grammar, but here cuts it with phrases and double takes straight out of Compton. When the guns and hatchets finally turn everyone into splatterbags, the rhythm of carnage cuts through the verbiage snicker snack. Samuel stuffed the film with the most beautiful black cast ever. Listen to this Jonathan Majors, Elba, Zazie Beats, Damon Wayans Jr., Danielle Deadweiler, Regina King, Lakeith Stanfield, Dewanda Wise, and Delroy Lindo. Mm-mm. It's like the Ziegfeld Follies in there, but where everyone is packing heat. Relax, I say. What's not to like? Old Henry, Power of the Dog, and The Harder They Fall each throw a roundhouse punch at the end you may not see coming. They're movies built on the big reveal, a story architecture that addresses the true concerns we bring from the street into the theater. Who are those guys, and what will they do to me? Old Henry and Power of the Dog tease you with the answers, while The Harder They Fall just pauses to explain it all. That's the difference between art and commerce. And I'm Harlan Jacobson. The jazz and music world has lost another precious gem. Songwriter and pianist Dave Frischberg died on Wednesday at his home in Portland, Oregon. He was 88. In dozens of much-covered songs released on more than 20 albums, Frischberg, slight, balding, and professional, aired his bemused sense of a world in which materialism reigned and authenticity had crumbled. His nasal voice had skepticism built in. His blunt, stabbing piano was the sound of discontent. Yet most of the time, he kept the laughs coming. In Do You Miss New York, he ponders the mixed emotions of those who, like himself, had traded Manhattan for the L.A. good life. Since I took a left and moved out to the coast From time to time I find myself engrossed With other erstwhile denizens of the apple And while we sit around and take L.A. to task There's a question someone's bound to ask And with this complex question we must grapple New York The anger The action Does this laid-back lifestyle Lack a certain satisfaction 
never burn To pack up and return to the thick of it Are you really sick of it? As you always say It was in New York that Frischberg, a boogie-woogie and swing fanatic and journalism major from St. Paul, Minnesota, had plunged into the fast lane of modern jazz. So well did he play piano that he found himself accompanying one marquee name after another, Anita O'Day, Ben Webster, and Carmen McRae. His albums earned him four Grammy nominations and a spot on The Tonight Show. Frischberg wrote for the hit TV series Schoolhouse Rock. For a generation or two, his signature achievement was a tuneful civics lesson titled, I'm Just a Bill, sung by Jack Sheldon. I'm just a bill, yes, I'm only a bill, and I'm sitting here on Capitol Hill. Well, it's a long, long journey to the Capitol City. It's a long, long wait while I'm sitting in committee, but I know I'll be a law someday, at least I hope and pray that I will, but today I am still just a bill. Gee, Bill, you certainly have a lot of patience and courage. Well, I got this far. When I started, I wasn't even a bill. I was just an idea. Some folks back home decided they wanted a law passed, so they called their local congressman, and he said, you're right, there ought to be a law. Then he sat down and wrote me out and introduced me to Congress, and I became a bill. And I'll remain a bill until they decide to make me a law. I'm just a bill. Yes, I'm only a bill. And I got as far as Capitol Hill. The amazing songwriter and pianist Dave Frischberg, dead at the age of 88. He will be missed. Thanks for listening to the WBGO Journal. I'm Doug Doyle. Join us next Saturday morning at 6.30 for another edition of the award-winning WBGO Journal. Portraits in Blue is up next on WBGO and WBGO.org.